Welcome to Make It Simple, where we take complicated issues and, with the help of an expert, break them down into ideas we can understand, truths we can apply, and questions worth pondering. I'm Matt Popovitz, and with me, as always, is my friend and co-host, Rachel Ryder. Rachel, we get to welcome another friend back to the show today. Who are we talking to today? That's right. Today, we get to have back with us A.J. Roberts. That's right. A.J. Roberts. You'll remember her from all the way back in season one, I think, right? It was season one? Yeah, it was. Season one. Yeah. Yeah, it was was season one, right? As COVID was kind of rearing its its, its ugly head. And she Mm -hmm. came on the show to explain COVID to us because she is a molecular biologist and virologist and public advocate for the Christian faith. And Jeanette, or AJ, as we refer to her, conducted SARS research at the National Institutes of Health, holds degrees in chemistry, cellular and molecular biology. She's got her PhD from the University of Pennsylvania, and she also has a degree in Christian apologetics from Biola University. She is really, really smart. She knows viruses. She knows how they work. You know, she's, she's helped develop that like life-saving vaccine. So she gets all of this. But what's interesting is today, we're, we're not really going to talk about the science of COVID today. Uh, wh- what are we going to talk about with AJ? We're, gonna re- we're really going to look at and talk about the aftermath and what, uh, what we're seeing now as the effects of what the past two years have done for us mentally and as a group and individuals. Yeah. So, so I think what we're going to maybe label today's episode is a conversation about collective trauma. That, that's what we're having AJ in to talk about is, you know, we've talked about the science of COVID with AJ, but what we want to talk about in today's episode is what have we, as a result of COVID, all been through as a, as a human family? What's the effect been on us? And what have we learned thus far about, about ourselves, uh, how to love each other well and, and and how to handle the next pandemic because as aj talks about you know viruses aren't going anywhere and right. we we would be wise to learn some things from this go around with a global pandemic because it's probably probably not the last one you know Ra- rachel anything in particular that immediately jumps to the surface for you of of things you're looking forward to discussing uh talking about with aj you know, I have to be honest because AJ is so learned and like, she just is an expert in this field. I, I don't really have any expectations. I just want to hear what she has to say. And I want to dive into that. Um, I, I do, I am very interested in what are, what are we seeing has been the effect of the last two years. I really uh, value looking back and seeing what have we learned. And so I'm interested to see what she has to say about that. Yeah, same. I mean, she she's just yeah. such such an incredible thinker. I'm I'm just anxious and, and looking forward to hearing her thoughts on what it is we've been through, what she's noticed, what she's learning, what she's reading about it, and and really just have a conversation around that because you know we we all recognize we've been through something, but I don't think we realize just yet what all we've been through, in particular <laughs> right. the effect that it's had and is still having on us. We may not know for some time, but the conversation about it can start today, and, and that's what we're going to try and do with AJ. So so what do you say we we dive in? to another conversation with Dr. A.J. Roberts. I'm looking forward to it. Let's do it. A.J., welcome back to Make It Simple. It's so great to chat with you again. Hey, it's really great to be with you and Rachel again, Matt. Thanks so much. Thank you. 
Yeah, it's 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 really it's really our pleasure. You know, uh, our last conversation about uh, the vaccines uh, was just really helpful, really enlightening to so many people. You know, our, myself included, Rachel too. Yeah. And so we, we we thought we 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 want to check in with AJ as we continue our our shared journey in this global pandemic. We we thought we needed to check in with you and just kind of leverage your wisdom and your insight and and have a conversation with you about where we are, what we've been through, and, and what we need to continue to do going forward, especially especially as people of faith, as we continue to, to, to navigate this pandemic reality, because we're not, we're not quite out of it just yet as we, as we record this conversation. So, so, so AJ, let me, let me start right here. Let's, let, let's, let's talk a little bit about collective trauma, because you know, I, I have a sense that, that that's really what, what we as, as, as a human community have all been through and in some ways are, are continuing to deal with. What's, what's your take on what, what collective trauma is and what we've experienced via the pandemic? Yeah, Matt, I really love that you led with, um, you know, we're not really out of this. And I think that um, as much as many of us just want to be done with this <laughs> yeah. and move on, that, that that's a sense of, um, you know, we're fatigued. Uh, we're fatigued with this idea that there's a threat out there um, that we can't necessarily control, control or evade. Uh, and, and so I think, you know, that's when, before we talk about collective trauma, I think we need to recognize what trauma itself is. Uh, yeah. Right. So trauma, I think many of us, myself included, Certainly before COVID, I would have defined trauma uh, in the category of it's this terrible event that that happens. And the trauma aspect is my emotional response to the terrible event, if I'm the one having experienced the terrible event. And so we think about what's going on in Ukraine today, obviously very traumatic. Mm -hmm. Um, but, But when we think about COVID... Yes, there are tragedies mm-hmm. interspersed in the in the pandemic over the past two years, and some of those tragedies hit very close to home. If mm-hmm. we've been very very sick and lost our health, mm-hmm. if we've lost a loved one uh, to COVID, um, there are extent extended experiences that would also be considered tragic. I think in the sense that we weren't able to be with our loved one when they passed away Mm -hmm. because of isolation. We weren't able to be with them uh, when they were buried because Mm -hmm. there were isolation restrictions, you know, so there, we weren't able to be with people who uh, were celebrating joyful things like marriages or graduations or baptisms or bar mitzvahs because of isolation. And so there's this loss as a sense of tragedy. Um, But you can also experience trauma when you lose a sense of security or yeah. safety, uh, where someplace that you've gone over and over and over again, you can no longer go there because it is a threatening environment. Mm-hmm. And so trauma is this emotional response to an event that's either a tragic event or an event that robs us of a sense of security and well-being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And collective trauma is when a large body of people experience the same type of event. And so, you know, we could say we're not experiencing collective trauma to the same extent as individuals right. living in Ukraine right now in regard mm-hmm. to what's going on there. But we can certainly say in regard to COVID, there is a global collective trauma 
but we each are experiencing it differently because yeah. the trauma has hit each of us differently. Right? Well, and, and, and I appreciate your insight that, that it's a traumatic experience simply, simply on the level of, of losing the understanding of the world that we used to have. You know, there, there is this, there's this pre-COVID reality of, of how the world works and what the threats are and what the cost to me is going to be if something, something big ever happens. Um, and most of us, you know, and I say us living in kind of this, this Western bubble, we, we, we never had to deal with anything that was a really a, a true direct threat to our daily way of life and, and way of being. But, but that world is now gone. And simply like just the loss of the way the world, the way we thought the world was, like that's a traumatic experience too, isn't it? It is. The loss of the loss of what we once had that we're not certain whether or not we'll ever re- be able to regain right. that. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the loss of any level of certainty, like, will I be able to travel uh, safely? Okay. Uh, will I be able to go on about my life or will there be another variant that isn't going to be controlled by the vaccines as well? Right. So I've done everything I can to protect myself is it good enough? Right. There's this there's this ongoing sense of anxiety and uncertainty. There's this ongoing sense uh, that leaves us with feelings of either fear um, or helplessness or both. And I think that those emotional responses are also part of what is generally referred to as a response, a traumatic response right, to events that have happened. So. Yeah, we're not we're not free of that uncertainty by any stretch of the imagination. And mm-hmm. and you know, I, I very first started thinking about this these ideas, these concepts in the context of collective trauma because I was listening two months ago today, I was listening <laughs> to an NPR podcast and they actually were broaching this topic about collective trauma. And I found it so personally helpful because mm. I'd heard tossed around, oh, isolation's not good for you. It's not healthy for us to be separated and isolated. But hearing that, acknowledging that, agreeing with that concept still hadn't sort of categorized it in my own thinking and heart as this is a traumatic event. And it's not just a traumatic event for me, um, but it's a traumatic event for us collectively. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Really interesting in that podcast uh, from NPR. Again, it was aired on uh, January 24th. Anybody wants to go out there and listen to it, I I suggest you do. I think it's fabulous. But but they actually interview a couple of different people, um, uh, several different people, actually. Two of them of particular um, disagree about whether or not we should be referring to the pandemic and the COVID experience as uh, traumatic, as a trauma. Uh, But the... The uh, CEO of the American uh, Psychiatric Association, I think. I hope I got that right. Um, (laughs) Arthur Evans. Um, He actually says that, that yes, you know, it's it's absolutely a collective trauma. And, oh, by the way, um, trauma research has indicated that the mental health effects, the mental health effects usually present present later, months Mm -hmm. later or years later. And so he said in that interview that we've already started to see sort of this mental health tsunami of people who are experiencing greater anxiety, greater depression, greater substance abuse, um, uh, that, that it's not peaked and that they don't really expect it to peak until possibly sometime this year, 2022. 
Yeah. Uh, and and the other guy is is an author and a neuroscientist and psychiatrist uh, who wrote a book called The Body Keeps the Score. Yeah. And his name's Bessel van der, van der Kolk. And, uh, you know, he, he basically said for himself, he doesn't view what's happened in COVID as traumatic, at least not for him, because he's had a support system. He's had friends that he's been able to maintain relationships with, and he's been able to sort of basically cope. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, you know, he says, I'm fine. And, and I think that that's fascinating to me, right? We have these two people that are, that are very much experts in the field that is, is sort of stretching me to be talking about mental health issues. You know, I was in my wheelhouse when we were talking about vaccines and this is, mm -hmm. this is a bit of stretch for me, but it's a stretch that I really wanted to have this conversation with you guys because I'm experiencing something that I consider mm -hmm. dramatic and I'm recognizing in the people around me that the vast majority of us are experiencing things that we would consider dramatic. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's interesting. I was talking with some friends the other day and we were all like, Oh, remember two years ago. Cause I was living in California at the time. So like March 12th was the, like the shutdown day. And we were talking about like, my husband left his coffee cup and his water and all this at the office. And it's still sitting there two years later. Like he hasn't been able to go back. So it was interesting to look back and to say, to recognize we're still in, in it, but I don't know that we've really been able to see how it's changed us all. So whether you call it traumatic or not, I think most people would say like, I'm different today than mm -hmm. I was yeah. two years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but then mm -hmm. it makes me go, it, you know, so what do I do? Cause so much of COVID was, I've got to protect myself in this lockdown. Right. I've got to protect my little babies and I've got to protect my grandma. Okay. But now it's like a whole different, like we, as a community, if we have collective trauma, what do we do? Um, so yeah. I, I really want to hear your thoughts on this. That's a brilliant question. And I, and I definitely want to dive into that topic. I, I, I do want to back up and say that, you know, even though uh, these two gentlemen disagreed about whether mm -hmm. or not it was a traumatic event, that they both agreed that um, even after someone has experienced a traumatic event or a tragedy, mm -hmm. that it is, you continue to feel the threat, right? Mm -hmm. And oh, so- yeah. So I think that that's a very real part of the conversation moving forward as to what do we do is to mm -hmm. acknowledge that not only have we experienced a collective trauma, perhaps differently, but mm -hmm. that we are still experiencing the threat and that's the right. effects uh, and that maybe some of us won't even recognize those feelings of, of threat yet. Right. If mm -hmm. the, that's a great if point. The yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, so um, gosh, yeah, I, Man, my heart, my heart, uh, when I was listening to the NPR podcast, and even after it was over, and I reflected on it for several days, my heart was just, God, what do we do, right? Mm -hmm. As those who claim to follow Jesus, you know, I put myself in that category, and so many of yeah. my friends that I respect, it's like, how do we, in the midst of collective trauma, how do we navigate our way through? And yeah. how do we do it in such a way that really is 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 honoring other people, honoring the image of God and other people, honoring the heart of God towards yeah. other people. And, uh, and I got sad, you know, I'm, I've, I've been struggling with sadness for months anyway. And I, I knew that COVID's mm -hmm. exacerbated that, but, but my sadness is just at times it, it just seems to be overwhelming, mm -hmm. but 
my heart is like, God, there must be a way through this for those of us who claim to follow you, right? We must be able to show compassion in the midst of sadness, show compassion in the midst of trauma. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, how do I do that? Yeah. And how do I, how do I do that? And how do I encourage other people to do that? Yeah. One of the other things that these two guys agreed on um, is that when we're experiencing something like this, like COVID, that many, many people not only have increased depression and anxiety, but increased irritability. And yeah, uh, sure. boy, boy, did that strike home. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was just like, yeah. And it's because we have this overwhelming sense of we've lost control. Mm-hmm. We've lost the ability to control our environment. We've lost the ability to feel safe and everything or a lot of things feel threatening. And so how can we not be defensive? How can we not be irritable? Sure. And uh, again, for me personally, that's just been um, it's it's been something that I have been poignantly aware of is my own irritability. Mm -hmm. And even as we're moving into our society and our our coexistence and our interactions with other human beings more frequently, that was that was really strained in a lot of Mm -hmm. areas, even before COVID, right? Mm -hmm. To be able to dialogue with compassion amongst people that you disagree with, right? Um, Even within your own family, you know, I think Mm -hmm. COVID sort of highlighted that in a lot of ways. (laughs) There there are members who are quick to be vaccinated. There are members of my family who still aren't vaccinated, you know? And so it's, those tensions are there. So how do I not carry my irritability of like all of the weight of what I've been through over the last two years into conversations with people who I disagree with. Right. So. Well, I I think I, well, sorry Please, to interrupt, ahead, AJ, but but I just want to say I think I think part of that that's why that's why I think conversations like this are important because you know, my sense is that a big part of processing what we've been through and making sure that it doesn't just happen to us and we don't just carry the effects of it, but that something redemptive goes on with what we've experienced is that it, it begins with our ability to dialogue about it and at the very least recognize no, no matter how you feel about the origins of the pandemic or vaccines or whatever, no matter how you feel about it, we've all been through it and we're still dealing with it. And at the base level, us being able to gather together as human beings and recognize we've been through something, right? We've been through something big, something that we don't even understand the impact upon us just yet. Can we at least process that? I have to think that 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 it starts with just a conversation kind of like we're having now, which is, can we all agree we've been through something and we need to, and we need to kind of hold with an open hand, our understanding of its effect on us and how it shaped us and begin to reflect on how we might do this differently as we go forward. Yeah. I'm really glad you brought, brought that aspect up, Matt. Um, It, it immediately reminded me of grief counseling that I went through back in 1999 after my dad had passed away. And one of the most amazing things that transpired during that time where I was in this sort of grief group uh, was to realize that we all grieve differently, Mm -hmm. right? We don't, we don't all just experience trauma differently because it affects us differently, but our responses differ, even if we've encountered the same traumatic event because we all grieve differently. We all process differently. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that for me, one of the things that is helping me to maintain a more compassionate disposition 
in the presence of others is to recognize that differences there uh, and to try and understand where the other person is coming from. And I started reading a book by uh, David Paulison uh, called Good and Angry. Mm. Uh, and, and I, I did it on the recommendation of a, of a Christian counseling friend, uh, who's been at Christian counseling for, uh, probably the better part of four decades. Her and her husband are both professional counselors. And I was talking to her about my irritability and my anger, quite honestly, because I, I have become more, a more angry person during COVID. And I struggled with anger for quite a, quite a bit, uh, for a couple of decades before, let's say a couple of years before COVID, but I had been doing better uh, before COVID, but then COVID hit and it sort of exacerbated my irritability and my anger issues again. Mm-hmm. And so I picked up this book and, and one of the most insightful things, and I'm not very far through it because I'm really taking, I'm, I'm, I'm intentionally going through it prayerfully. And uh, one of the most amazing things is that Paulson says that at the root of all anger, no matter how anger emotionally manifests itself, at the root of all anger is this concept that we're moral beings uh, because we're made in the image of God and we make judgments mm-hmm. that something displeases us. We've seen something, we've experienced something, and it's wrong. We've made a judgment that it's wrong. So at the basis of all anger is judgment. And I thought, wow, wow, um, that's amazing uh, because on the Myers-Briggs scale, I would have put myself as more of a perceiving person over the years than a judging person, right? No longer seeing things as black and white, allowing more room for gray. But I realized, hey, wait a minute, maybe, maybe, AJ, there's something wrong with the way that you're thinking about yourself and your own reactions because, because you get angry a lot. So maybe mm-hmm. you're really seeing things much more black and white than you've been willing to admit sure. to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... So that's been really helpful, uh, and and it's led me to reconsider the challenge of some of the scriptures that I come across in some of my daily readings, like be quick to hear, mm-hmm. slow to speak, slow to anger. Oh, wait, slow to anger. That means slow to judge. Mm-hmm. And it's like, sure. wow, that, that's, been, that's been transformative. And wouldn't that help us perhaps find a way to navigate our ways through trauma together yeah. if we would be quick to hear yeah. so that we understand what the other person's experience has been, mm-hmm. what their fears have been, what their sense sure. of a loss of control has been. Mm-hmm. And if we're quick to hear that, <laughs> might might God also provide for us sort of a more compassionate understanding yeah. that that uh, my experience hasn't been the same as your experience, yeah. but I now sure. hear your experience. And oh, by the way, I'm not going to, I'm going to be very slow to judge. And perhaps that might even lead me to be, oh, a flip side of judgment is mm-hmm. mercy, right? Mm-hmm. And so might I be more merciful? And so again, just my own sort of trajectory for the couple of years before COVID and then the couple of years of COVID has been, Jesus has really been challenging me with uh, a verse from Matthew that says, I desire mercy more than sacrifice. Go and learn what this means. And for somebody who struggles with irritability and anger, it's like, man, that that verse challenges me every day. Every day that verse challenges me. 
Yeah. Because I'm, I'm irritable because of I've, I've already had to sacrifice. I've already had to, I've, I've already had to, to be disappointed in all these different ways, and that's that's where so much of my irritability comes from. Absolutely. But 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 I believe I think I think AJ, you're onto something. That there is there is a there's a good word, so to speak, waiting people of faith at this particular stage in the pandemic from the scriptures about dealing with the the anger and the irritability and the the judgmentalism that is part and parcel, perhaps to a traumatic experience. So if we can recognize that we, we have all been through something traumatic, or at the very least, you mentioned grief, that we all have some things to grieve because every mm-hmm. loss needs to be grieved, big, small, whatever, that every loss needs to be grieved. And, and that which is ungrieved can often breed things like irritability and anger, um, you know, sadness that you can't shake that then breeds itself into sure. judgmentalism. So if, if we know we're dealing with all of that as a part of this, then there's a good word for us to say, hey, look. As, as we go forward, now knowing that when you go through stuff like this, there is, there is a garden of irritability, anger, frustration, and a whole lot of other things growing, you would be wise, people of faith, to heed the words of Jesus and to <laughs> heed the whole truth of Scripture that says, be slow to anger, be quick to listen. These are, these are words to carry with you in a world that has caused you so much recent pain. Yes. Yes and amen. (laughs) May it be so, which is what I think loosely translated that word means. May it be so. So, so, so so AJ, answer this question for me, because obviously you've done a lot of reflecting on this. Um, What, what do you, what do you think, you know, as, as, as a person of faith, what do you think we, we could start to, um, knowing what we know now, people of faith could do better starting now and going forward in this pandemic, apart from, uh, or on top of rather, you know, dealing with our own anger and irritability and things in, in a healthier, more, more biblical way. Is, is there something that you've noticed in the pandemic thus far that we, we could start doing or should start doing differently today and moving forward? Our kiddo definitely has big emotions. And part of it is that, you know, those tantrums were lasting for a really long amount of time, like way above what I think they say. I mean, yeah, they were just so long. So I think for sure with some of the techniques, like the light switch, which was one of the first things we learned with you guys, the duration of those immediately started to cut down. I, I, I think there are, several things, Matt, and I, I hesitate. Uh, I, I don't know where to pick up uh, first, but I think one of the things is, is to recognize, again, sort of the way I led is that we fatigue easily, mm-hmm. right? And that we, you you said, you know, we've, we've already made some sacrifices and, and we're sort of tired of having to make sacrifices. But I, I think that that's, that's an ongoing challenge as well for a person of faith is that Jesus says, Oh, Oh, follower of mine. (laughs) Uh, The challenge before you is to daily, daily Mm -hmm. pick up your cross and follow Mm -hmm. me Mm -hmm. daily to make sacrifices daily to lay down your life. And, and so, so I think, I think we can't escape that challenge if we are people who want to take the words and the teachings of Jesus seriously 
Hmm. Uh, and if we want them to be transformative for our lives, and if we want it to matter that people of faith who claim to follow a God of love are being transformational and light in their worlds, in their world and in their communities. So, so I think it takes a lot of personal sort of recognition, humility, willingness to struggle with those things that God challenges us with that we find difficult. Um, I think another thing that we can do that may help move forward is, is to dial back the rhetoric a little bit about everything being a political issue. Um, I just really don't think everything is a political issue. It is a human issue and humans are a body politic. And so in that sense, everything has political implications, but Mm. But let's be a little bit quick to hear when somebody (laughs) leads with the concept that perhaps this is a public health issue Mm -hmm. and not a political issue. Um, Mm -hmm. Let's, I don't know many people that would turn a conversation about traffic laws or uh, (laughs) the requirement to wear a seatbelt into a political issue. Those are public safety issues. They're, they're laws that we conform our lives to in order to maintain a collective well-being, yeah. right? We don't run red lights. We don't mow people down in crosswalks and talk about personal infringement. I hate wearing a seat safety belt, right? Mm-hmm. And what, what made us think collectively as a society that we could impose that law on the citizens of this land? Well, because me not wearing a safety belt can actually cause huge impact to society as a whole. The healthcare system, the long-term healthcare system, if I'm mangled and maimed, but not killed in an accident because I didn't have a safety belt on. And oh, by the way, a lot of injuries that happen to other people, passengers in the car are, are incurred because somebody in the car didn't have the safety belt on. And so it was actually like body to body impact that caused harm. And so I've been thinking about that this past week as a great analogy of like, wow, we we succumb to public safety laws all the time about safety belts and traffic laws. Why do we treat laws about public health in regard to pandemic control differently? Mm -hmm. And I I think that there really shouldn't be a difference there. And I think that the difference that is there is because we already had this political rhetoric going before COVID started. And because we already had gross misinformation amongst a large portion of our populations globally about about a false assumption that vaccines are unsafe Mm -hmm. and that vaccines aren't in fact doing way more good than Mm -hmm. they are the small amount of adverse harm that's associated with them, right? Yeah. Well, it's an interesting perspective because um, like when you said, you know, to stop making everything a political rhetoric, because how many times have all of us said like everything's so politicized now that's so political. And I wonder if letting go of politicizing issues like the pandemic, and I know we're talking masks, we're talking vaccines, we're talking all of that. When you hold a political stance, I wonder if it's because you've got to have like a, this is my right opinion and this is the wrong opinion. 
And I wonder if you're talking about letting go of that a little bit and, and saying more like this is a community public health. Is that what we're, when you say looking at things as a public safety or a public health issue that feels much more outward community facing, um, is that what you're saying? Or is that, which is that, is that kind of the perspective we're looking for? I think it's a great perspective. I don't, I don't know that it's the perspective I was just articulating, but I think it's a great perspective and it needs to be part of the dialogue uh, for (laughs) sure. Um, I I think that um, sort of of one of the things that I'm thinking about as I'm I'm talking about depoliticizing the public health um, issues that are associated with COVID is that, well, first of all, I think I think we have to, okay, so when, when I think again about mercy, being more merciful, I think about the, the scripture, the Old Testament scripture that says, you know, God's shown you what you need to do to live your life rightly, right? You need to love justice. You need to, or you need to do justice. You need to love mercy. And you need to walk humbly, walk humbly. with God. And so, so I think that one of the things that we have to do is collectively, we have to understand that we are striving collectively for understanding and that understanding sometimes comes slow, especially in the face of a new and emerging threat. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be humble and patient when people that we need to be able to rely on and trust for our well-being and our public health and our public safety are slow and or duplicitous in their messaging, mm-hmm. right? And, and if we would have been able to depoliticize the messaging from the beginning and been, been able to articulate, this is what we know, and as public health professionals, we know in light of this much knowledge that these are the things that we can do. And if you actually do these things, you are actually taking control, you're taking control yourself to protect yourself and your community against this very real threat that is going to be traumatic, right? And so so now we have something that we can hold on to and say, I'm no longer helpless. I can actually take certain actions, like obeying traffic laws or putting on my seatbelt, that are going to help me navigate this this traumatic event or this tragedy that I'm facing. And it's not only going to help me, it's going to help everybody in, around me, everybody in my community, right? So yeah, wear a mask. Yeah, get vaccinated. And now I would add to that, yeah, recognize that we have been through and are still yeah. in a traumatic mm-hmm. event yeah. that may have effects associated with trauma that haven't That's yet right. emerged in some people. Yeah. I I love the idea that perhaps what we need to add to our our toolkit of how we deal with with a pandemic is is not just the the resources like masking and vaccines, but also we put in that tool belt an awareness of we're going through something, the effects of which we we won't fully understand until well after. But let's show, but let's recognize sure. that now. Yeah. Let's talk about that now. Yeah. Let's uh, let's 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 do things like like grieve and dialogue now, so that we can be as prepared for that part of it as as well as well. Because AJ, you know, speaking as a speaking from your perspective as a scientist, like you you know you kind of know I think how this story is going to go from like a from like a virus standpoint, like this is not, 
this is not the last time we're going to deal with something like this, right? Oh, Matt, I wish I knew how this particular one was going to go. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I wish I knew how future ones were going to go. But what I, what I think you're getting at is that, you know, as a virologist, as, as someone who understands outbreaks and epidemiology and science and, and, and sort of the ins and outs of emergent viral, viral infections um, and future possible outbreaks and pandemics, yes, I can, I can say with every level of confidence, if, if there is a next year, <laughs> mm-hmm. that, that we will be facing more and more outbreaks of different viruses. Some of them will be like influenza. Some of them will be like SARS or coronavirus or COVID. Some will be ones that we haven't anticipated. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and honestly, I, I look back on COVID and I think this could have been so much worse, mm-hmm. right? Because 13 years ago, when the first SARS outbreak occurred, the mortality rate associated with that was much higher than the mortality rate with this. Uh, mm-hmm. And there are other variants of other coronaviruses, not exactly like SARS, but very much a coronavirus, nevertheless. So, so scientifically speaking, in the same virus family as this, that have mortality rates as high as fifty percent. What on earth would COVID have looked like if we were facing yeah. mortality rates of fifty yeah. percent? Right. And yeah. so, so I kind of, <laughs> I don't think I'm a particularly optimistic optimistic person. <laughs> I think I'm, I think I'm far more typically a, a realist. Uh, and yeah. so, um, but, but I look at this and I think, could this be a mercy of God that we've encountered something that we can learn some really important lessons from sure. that are not nearly as des- disastrous as they could be? Right. And can we collectively make a commitment to, to learn and to move forward and to be prepared? And, and what would that look like? Um, you know, I, I just want to circle back around just for one second, Matt, and, and, and just comment again on, the, on this concept that we're, we're still very much not yet at the peak of right. sort of the mental health impact of, of, yeah. the, of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things that the CEO of the American Psychiatric Association uh, Arthur Evans said that I actually want to quote is, is, is really, really important. Uh, he says, I think for a lot of people, the idea of having a mental health challenge, is there something wrong with me? Hmm. And he says, I think what the idea of trauma helps people to understand is that no, this is something that is happening hmm. to me. Yep. And how I'm responding is the natural response. Right. It's natural to feel fear in the light of an overwhelming tragedy. It is mm-hmm. natural to feel helpless yep. in, in the face of a pandemic. But that doesn't mean that we can't right, mm-hmm. find ways to collectively be prepared to try and control what might happen next. That's right. Right. And so, and one of the things we have to recognize is that one of the ways that we control what happens to us is to listen to people who understand public health 
ramifications and the success of interventions. And to not assume that somebody who's telling me how to live in the face of a pandemic Mm -hmm. is trying to control me politically. That's right. (laughs) They're just not. They're just not. They're trying to help you navigate a situation that is threatening. That's right. And and, and I'm hopeful that, that, you know, now having seen, you know, so many of the stories of, of the effects of the pandemic on, on us and, and we, and we've, we've, we've seen the heartbreak, we've seen the loss, we've seen the tragedy, we felt it in our own, in our own lives and to varying degrees and in various ways that, that, that it will cease to be in the minds of those who've seen it, who've perceived the pain and the, and the suffering, the struggle that's come along with COVID, they will see it as, as, as a public health issue and not primarily as a political issue. Because I think that was the turning point when you talk about things like like seatbelts. For for me, what 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 framed it as something that was in my best interest and the best interest of others to wear a seatbelt was growing up seeing the gruesome images of what happens when you don't. Yeah. Of what, what happens when you don't. It, and so then so then the question of who's trying to control me goes out the window and really just saying, well I that's a bad thing for someone to experience, myself or anybody else. I want to avoid the bad thing. So let me heed public health and avoid the bad thing. But but, uh, but just to pivot just a bit AJ, I want to highlight something you said that I think is really beautiful. That, as, as you quoted, uh, that that other expert, it, I think it's very empowering as we process what we've been through, what we're going through, to 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 capture that idea that that if you if you've experienced trauma, and and we've all to some degree, I think we're agreeing, have there's not something wrong with you, but rather something has happened to you. That's right. There's not That's something right. wrong with you. Something has happened to you. And that that then releases us from like this shame aspect of mm-hmm. mental health struggles. Right. And now we now we get to say, you know, no, something happened to me. And 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 just like if uh if you know if I'm playing baseball and a baseball just hits me, right? Rather than I catch it and it just hits me right in the chest, I'm gonna feel some pain because of that. That's- yeah. I'm not, I'm not feeling pain because something's wrong with me. I'm feeling pain because a baseball hit me at 40 miles an hour in the right. chest and I wasn't ready for it. And that hurts. And, 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 if, we, and yeah. if we get to a Sorry place to where we can, your pain. Yeah. No, but, but if we get to a place where we can say, look, that's what's happened to us. If right. you're feeling sad, if you're feeling lonely, if you're feeling angry as a result of what we've been through, it's not because anything's wrong with you. It's because something's happened to all of us. And what you're feeling is what we feel. When something happens to us like this, like if we can get to that place, we recognize that, then we've, we've, we, we, we've grown a little bit. And I think of, I think of, um, I think Stephen Colbert's quote of, 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 I think C.S. Lewis, where he talks about what, what punishments of God are not also gifts, mm. where, where in mm. the end, if we're able to, to frame the difficulty as something from which, uh, there can be some redemptive good and lessons learned come from it. Uh, mm-hmm. Then we've then we've then we've turned a corner. I think we have that opportunity. Matt, that's beautiful. And if I was wise, I'd probably let us stop on that. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it made me think of something else, which is, you know, as, as I understand, um, over the years, I've been doing a lot of deep thinking uh, on theodicies, right? Like, mm-hmm. how can bad things happen to? Uh, bad things happen to us if God is so good. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it just, it made me think that one of the sort of one of the very deep settled places that I've come to in my life is that we don't have a good theology of suffering. Yep. And, and I think that one of the ways that God acts so redemptively 
is through us hmm. in the face of traumatic events or tragedies. Yeah. And we are, we are, if you will, the instruments that God uses to show mercy and to comfort and to walk alongside someone and bear their burden. And if That's we're right. not doing that, if we're not other others oriented the way that the that the way the good Samaritan was others oriented, mm-hmm. right? Took on personal risk, uh, took on personal expense, took on personal responsibility for a stranger in need, mm-hmm. then we're not loving our neighbors. Mm-hmm. Right. And that that it's we're again, we're sort of failing absolutely failing to follow the example of the one we claim to follow if we claim to follow Jesus, right? It's like he says, love your neighbor as yourself. If someone's hurting and I'm not responding to them Mm -hmm. in the midst of their hurt, Mm -hmm. if I'm not bearing hope and mercy and camaraderie and compassion uh, to that person, then I'm the one that's failing, not Mm -hmm. God. God, in fact, has left us a very clear example and a very clear way to deal with these types of things in our lives. And it's to reach out to others in need. And if I'm not doing that, if people aren't seeing that God is good, it's because those of us who claim to follow God are not doing the good things that we need to be doing. That's right. Um, And and so I I feel deeply uh, passionate about that aspect of a theology of suffering. That's right. Why is suffering so bad? Because we aren't doing what we need to do in the face of suffering. Yeah, because mm-hmm. bad things happen and also because good people who know the good don't do it in the face of bad yeah. things. Yeah. And, and, and I think, and I think if there's a, if there's a, you know, as, as we're kind of in this conversation of processing what we've been through and, and how we can move through it, continue to move through it perhaps more faithfully with some lessons learned, one of the great lessons I think for people of faith to learn is that there are people around us with less resources at their disposal mm-hmm. and less privilege at their disposal to deal with this same trauma that we've experienced. Absolutely. And 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 those of us who have greater resources at our disposal to deal with our collective trauma, there is, especially if you're a person of faith, there is an onus upon us to 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 love and to reach out and to care and say, we're all going through the same thing, but I have more resources than you in dealing with this. And so let me take from from all that I have and and journey with you in this and and help you process this and deal with this, like I'm able to process this and deal with this. Because there are there, you know, there are there are single mothers who didn't get to 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 work from home and had to keep themselves you know out yeah. in the workplace and and whose kids were were home from school and had just had to be home by themselves and and then the list goes on and on and on and on or people who are in the hospital and can't pay their bills because of covid and like I mean, the list the list is long and so maybe one of the lessons that we can learn in all of this i pray is that people of faith with privilege might take whatever privilege and and blessing that we have. And with eyes now knowing what I've been through, it means they've been through it too. Oh my goodness. And perhaps to a greater degree sure. and, and love them and show them mercy. Yeah. I love that. It made me think again of another, another verse in James, I believe that that talks about, you know, this is pure and undefiled religion to yeah. care for widows and orphans in their need and the reason I bring that up in light of what you just said is because sometimes we don't think of ourselves as a resource, not just the resources we have that we can channel to somebody else, but our physical presence as a resource to some of those vulnerable groups, right? The, the single mother 
just the presence of another person like yeah. walking walking mm-hmm. alongside her right or the elderly or the incarcerated or the institutionalized or right. a single person right who's doesn't have any structural level of support to sort of find their way through whatever it is we still have left to face mm-hmm. in this pandemic or in the trauma wave that follows it. Um, I would like to go on record because I, in my overconfidence, I, I have misstated <laughs> twice now the affiliation of Arthur Evans. It is, in fact, the American Psychological Association, not Psychiatric <laughs> Association. So this is, once again, a little bit outside of my wheelhouse, which is why That's I can't okay. remember those fine details. No. But yeah. No, but I appreciate you coming on, Anna. I've gotten to, I feel privileged to talk to you a couple of times now. And like, I do hear in you a burden for like, guys, we're supposed to be loving others. And if, <laughs> if the past two years have shown us anything, it's, it's highlighted ways and communities that need love and they need help and they need support. We all do like, and I can recognize that, like, it's been hard at least you can at least recognize it's changed us. It's been a crazy two years we didn't expect, but I appreciate you bringing that perspective of, of just like that burden and that heart that we should, that we're called to have for others, um, which is so easy to set aside um, when it's not convenient or when things are hard. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. AJ, thanks so much for, for having this conversation with us and just uh, joining us in this, this, this reflection the three of us have had and with our audience on, on what we've been through so far and how we can, how we can learn and love better going forward. Thank you so much, AJ. Thanks. Thank you. So Rachel, we commented before the conversation began that we love talking to AJ because she's so thoughtful. She's so wise. And boy, did that proved to be true in this conversation, didn't it? Do you like stories of inspiration, stories of faith, stories of encouragement? Then I hope you will check out my podcast where I interview people of faith who share their stories of encouragement, the stories of inspiration, the stories of hope, and overcoming trials and difficulties that they have faced in their life and that we have faced in our lives as well. Hope you check it out. Oh, I mean, she's just a delight to talk to. I mean, she really is, and I could just listen to her. And it's just fun to hear from somebody who knows what they're talking about and speaks with authority. I love that. Like, I know I've said that before. And I just, she is somebody who just brings that authority and who, you know, our last conversation with her was about vaccines. And I I came out of that, not necessarily that it changed my mind, but that she brought facts and she brought good things to think about. And that's how I feel about this conversation. She just brought some good things to think about. Yeah, she did. She did. You know, in our first conversation with her about vaccines, she really just demonstrated her immense knowledge about about what vaccines are, about what the, mm-hmm. the COVID vaccines were, about how viruses work. And it was just a kind of a masterclass in kind of the fundamentals of science and virology. Here, what I appreciate about this conversation is this is this is more AJ, the the wise and well-informed woman of faith. Mm-hmm. And and not that her faith doesn't inform her science, of course, of course it does, but this was less her in her lane as a scientist and more more in her lane just reflecting and wrestling with the impact of COVID, the impact of this virus, uh, 
and the lessons we can learn as a person of faith, wondering, you know, what, what have we been through? What do we need to do going forward? And, and what does love look like? And I really appreciated just seeing that side of Dr. Roberts, a person of faith wrestling with, with the implications of this pandemic through the lens of her faith. Yeah, that's such a great way to put it. Anything in particular stand out to you? You know, right out of the gate, I appreciated that she said the word fatigued, like we're all fatigued and we're tired and and it's okay to be there. Um, And that she really hit on, like, there's a time lapse of, of the mental effects. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I'll be like, man, am I still struggling with this? Like, am I still, is it okay that I'm still tired of talking about COVID or, you know, being in lockdown? It's like, yeah, like our brains are, they were in survival and now they're just trying to catch up and deal. And I really appreciated the permission she gave that like, yeah, chances are you're still tired and you're still fatigued and that's that's totally normal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and and it's like, we we all, we all know that, but there's, but there's comfort in just like recognizing that with other people and just being Mm -hmm. like, yeah, can can we all just admit we've been through something? And there's something really comforting and affirming of just recognizing the elephant in the room of our own collective, horrible experience of having to, to deal with this (laughs) pandemic. You know, I also appreciated, you know, her kind of openly wrestling with, you know, some of the articles she's read and, and things that she's listened to, like the like the article that she referenced a couple of times about mental health, where mm-hmm. uh, the one expert said, you know, that one of the problems with trying to recognize mental health struggles is that people often think that by recognizing that they're struggling with their mental health is that. You know, they they think that they're admitting that there's something wrong with them, but 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 Dr. Roberts reminded us in her recollection of this article that it's not that something's wrong with you, it's that something's happened to you and the yeah. things that you're feeling and the things that you're wrestling with as a result of that are all perfectly normal for someone who's had something happen to them. There's nothing wrong with you. Something's happened to you. And, and that's just a really, I think, clarifying and comforting mm-hmm. and also, again, kind of permission-giving truth like to admit, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not bad because I feel this way, having coming out of COVID or whatever kind of trauma I've been through. I, I've just had something happen to me. I've just had something happen yeah. to me. And the things I'm feeling as a result of that are, are understandable and expected. Yeah. And what a great reminder to say, we all grieve differently. Yeah. And so like yeah. my grief's not going to look like your grief and what this experience, though similar, I'm going to respond differently than you respond than my kids respond than my friends respond. And that's okay. Um, and again, just giving that permission to like, it's, it, you, you don't have to pretend uh, to have handled it one way or, uh, you know, um, I, I just think that's really, she just brought a lot of compassion and yeah. reminded me that it's good for us to have compassion uh, with ourselves and with each other um, coming out of the past two years. Yeah. And, and that's another, another kind of theme through the conversation is, mm-hmm. you know, she reminded us uh, a couple of times of our call to love as people of faith. So if you're, if you're listening to this and, and, and you call yourself a Christian, you know, a big part of the life of following Jesus is trying to imitate as you know to the best we can as fallible human beings his life of love and love being sacrifice and and you know that we there are many christians who lost sight of our call to love during the pandemic but we have a fresh opportunity in the aftermath of it as we look around and see everybody shaken to to take up that call to love in the form of sacrifice and compassion and 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 respond well we have, we have that opportunity, and it was a good reminder from AJ for us to to use the opportunity, if you're a person of faith, to to uh, to love people well in the aftermath of COVID, because everybody is hurting in some way, shape, or form. Everybody's affected by it still. Yeah, it really is. Uh, you get this from her that it's her non-negotiable, that yeah. we are to treat people 
we're to love others as we love that's ourselves. Right. And God is a God of goodness and mercy. And that's just her foundation. Um, that's right. That's right. So. so, so Rachel, what would be your, your make it simple soundbite from this reflection on the aftermath of COVID with AJ Roberts? I really, I really think there's value in sitting and, and considering what have the past couple of years been like for me yeah. personally to maybe talk that out with the people in my life and to sit with it and really say like, yeah, remember what this was like. And remember the first time I had to go to the grocery store and I, I, they only let five people in at a time and remember right. what it was like to not see people. And, and then to, to sit with that and to let it lead me to a place of compassion to yeah. say, you know, yeah, it's okay that I'm tired. It's okay that my neighbor's hurting and how can I show up for them and how can I love others well? Um, and so to really let that consideration and that reflection lead me to a place of compassion. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. no matter how you, you feel about COVID and vaccines and lockdowns, and I know there's, mm-hmm. there's lots of different opinions. <laughs> there's, there, I have to think there's value in, in sitting down with the people that you share life with and, and just wrestling with a series of questions, questions like, Hey, can we have a conversation about what have we been through? What do we all think we've been through? Yeah. Whether you think, you know, you've, you've been through a pandemic and, you know, the necessary procedures to take care of it, or whether you think you've been through like, you know, some kind of oppressive government, you know, sure. effort to take control yeah. of your lives. We all agree we've been through something. So let's talk about what we, what we've been through. Yeah. You know, maybe another question to wrestle with is let's talk about how have we changed? How are we different now? Like personally, like how are we different? Right. And then maybe another question to wrestle with is, okay, so now what do we need? What do we need? What do I need? What do you need? Like, I I think that would be really fruitful if you sat with your family and said, what have we been through? You know, how have we changed? What do we need? Uh, that that's how you kind of maximize or, or redeem, I think some of the, some of the pain and difficulty you've been through. Um, you know, for me, the, 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 the make it simple, soundbite really kind of comes back to, to AJ's call to, to love, you know, there, there's a, there's a, there's a call upon people of faith to love well, you know, during a traumatic event and, and in the aftermath of a traumatic event and, and, and people of faith are, are called to push away from combativeness and politicalization and lean towards love and compassion at the cost, uh, even at cost to themselves. And so, you know, I, I, I appreciated that reminder for, for myself, and I appreciate that reminder for our listeners that the next time this happens, the call is the same, to love like Jesus. And in the aftermath of what we've been through and in the aftermath of what we'll go through down the road, the, the, the call is the same for people of faith to, to notice the need of others and to love like Jesus. Mm. Well, Rachel... This was a good conversation, and uh, I'm so thankful good. we could have AJ back on the show. And I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to uh, another future season of Make It Simple because this is our last episode for season three, right? This is it. This is a wrap on season three. That's right. This is a wrap on season three. So we'll, we'll be back soon enough with with a whole new season filled with uh, a bunch of experts talking about really big and important and uh, personally uh, personally pressing topics and we'll try to break them down and make them simple but but thank you for uh, thank you for listening to season three and we look forward to uh, to chat with you our audience in season four let's do it thanks for helping us make it simple the show is produced by MPM our editor is Marsha Lambeth artwork for the show was designed by Brenton Little Do you have a topic you'd like us to tackle or an expert you'd like us to chat with? Send your ideas to info at mattpopovitz.com. That's info at M-A-T-T-P-O-P-O-V-I-T-S dot com. And if you'd like more information about Make It Simple or MPM, just head to mattpopovitz.com.